And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Hey, thanks, worship team, for leading us this morning. Can we give a thank you to our worship team for doing a great job this morning? Yeah, praise the Lord. I'm thankful for our worship team. Friends, uh, I want to start at a place where Pastor Dan took us to a bit last week in the book of Romans. I think it might be the most important place for us to start here today. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, Just by way of introduction, if you don't know me, if you're not familiar with who I am, my name is Seth. I'm the student ministry pastor here at State College Alliance Church. Uh, I'm really glad to bring the word of God to you this morning. This is a a privilege. I'm humbled, uh, and uh, that's who I am. So if you have a middle schooler, high schooler, and you're here today, and you're like, I wish I could connect this kid with somebody who could talk to him about Jesus. Well, me and my team, my team and I, we would love to do that. So if you want to reach out to me after the service, come and get to know me. I'd love to get to know you and your family as well. But let's kick off with Romans 1:16. It says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." Let me ask you a quick question. What does this passage of scripture Who does this passage of Scripture say that the power of God for salvation is available to? Who is it for? Everyone who believes. Who is the the power of God for salvation available for? Right, okay. I'm going to read this again, and when we get to the word everyone, I want you to shout it out, okay? Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone everyone who believes. Very good. We are awake here in this first service. This verse has had an impact on my life for a long time. Romans 1.16. As of recently, in 2020, when my family and I bought our first house, um, We've, we found this house. It was great. It was a, a sweet deal. Uh, we put in a low offer, and they're like, sure. So it was great. Praise God for that. Um, we found this house, and the house number, the number, the address right above our garage says 116-116. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, if we dwell in this home, I just want this house to be a, a, a beacon house, like a lighthouse, like the gospel dwelling in this house, the Spirit of God dwelling in this house, so that neighbors who might come into our home, family who come into our home, there would be this essence of, of unashamedness and, and the presence of Christ in our home. Certainly, that number's not magical over our house. It has nothing to do with it, but I, I was just really cool. Like, I talk with my kids about this. Like, we get to live unashamed for the gospel uh, because it's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. That's right. Uh, I remember as a, a middle school boy, I loved the middle school years, and I, I had tumultuous middle school years myself. Anybody relate to that? Anybody, anybody love middle school years? Okay, you need to come be a middle school worker, all right, because you got something to offer. I, I don't know about that, but it's awesome. Um, as a middle schooler, I started getting into, uh, into the rap scene. I started being influenced by a lot of secular rap artists. I, I love music a lot, and I, 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 uh, I love rap a lot, too. I like to listen to rap. I like to rap myself. I used to do freestyle battles underground in college. If you want to talk about it or face me in a freestyle battle later, we can do that, okay? I will tear you apart. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> 
as a, as a middle schooler, I started getting into the rap scene and I had a cousin named Jonathan. I still have a cousin named Jonathan. Um, he knew that I was getting into the rap scene and we were at his house and he was listening to rap. That wasn't the most edifying uh, for, for a young boy to be listening to. And he knew that I was getting into some names that weren't really good for my heart, my mind, and my soul. Jonathan loved Jesus, and so he, he had this CD that he gave to me. It was called The 116 Click. Uh, I was like, I'd never heard of these guys before. And he's like, this is Christian rap. You're going to like it. And it was a combination of like spoken word and Christian rap. And this was like pre-Christian rap really becoming a thing. Christian rap now, if you follow rap or Christian rap at all, there's some big names who do like really good production stuff for rap. I love it. Little Lecrae was on there, Tadashi on there, Andy Minio was on there, Tripoli was on there, Flame was on there, a couple of really good Christian rap artist names. And this was before they had really like come into their own with, with their names being big names in the industry. And this, this CD kept like saying over and over, uh, I can be unashamed for the gospel of Christ. I ain't ashamed for the gospel of Christ. Uh, this theme of the power of salvation, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes was like permeating every track on this album. And it kind of blew my mind and it made me realize in the realm of creativity, specifically rap, that you can use a gift that often is like labeled a bad thing. I mean, because up until that point, I didn't know any rap that was good for my heart, uh, that you could use creative works to glorify God as an expression. So that was like a cool thing. And maybe you've had like creative avenues in your life where you've had that same realization, like this is a thing that's often used for dark, but it can be used for light. And so that was cool. So this 116 came up. And if you hear any of these rappers today, they still reference like 116, I'm unashamed, 116 click. Uh, it's like a, a tribe of people who, who cling together. So it's cool. So if, you, if you're into rap and you want to look up those names, uh, you can do that free plug for them. So uh, I'm just saying this, this number, this 116, this Romans 116, this unashamedness about Christ has been something I've been able to talk a lot with my kids about recently. Even so recently that we just, we just went on a vacation. We were in South Carolina. I love the beach. Anybody here a beach lover? Show of hands. How many of you love the mountains? Okay, we could duke it out later. Um, for me, like the beach is my happy place. Uh, and, you know, I have four kids. So like, uh, the beach is like a happy place to a certain extent. It's still a circus. Uh, like the circus was in central Pennsylvania and we just took the circus to the beach. Uh, so, but at least the circus was at the beach. We had a, we had a great time. It was, it was really wonderful. Very grateful for the time with the circus at the beach. On the way home, we stopped at a really fancy restaurant called McDonald's. Um, <laughs> You know, you travel with four kids, McDonald's comes in clutch. Uh, and I, I ate this quarter pounder. It was so juicy. Uh, and that's all, it was good. It was a good burger. But we sat at the table, and I don't know if every McDonald's is doing this now, but there was like a gold-plated or brass-plated number on the table. Have you seen that before? Um, the brass-plated number right on the edge of the table so the waitress knows to bring food. They actually brought food to the table at this McDonald's, which was cool. I think many McDonald's are, are doing that now. Pretty sweet. So the number, the gold-plated number on our table was 116. Uh, so I had this opportunity with my kids right then and there. I was like, guys, remember this number, 116? It's our house number, Romans 116. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So we're sitting there. I'm eating this greasy burger on a really sticky table that smells really gross. And the order right after mine, somebody was picking up an order to go. The, the uh, lady behind the counter shouts out, 116, 116. And I was like, are you kidding me? So we were talking about this 116, this like, I am not ashamed of the power of God, for it is the power of God that is salvation for everyone who believes. So good. 
Could you imagine what our town would look like if the believers in this place, in this region, if we would all lived, if we would all lived sold out, unashamed for the gospel? What would that mean for our families? What would that mean for our friends, our neighbors? I mean, really sold out. If we gave our whole lives as worship to him and said, control every part of me and let every part of me be for your gospel and for your glory in the region that I live. It would be transformational. It can be transformational. It, in fact, is transformational. But we have a problem. We have distractions. We have distorted understanding about the gospel, much like what was happening to the churches in the Galatian region. Our, our distortions and distractions might be different than theirs, but the gospel that has the power to save is no different today. And the enemy of our souls who is trying to steal and kill and destroy, he's no different too. He is still trying to distract and distort the truths of the gospel in our minds and in our midst today. Over the last two weeks, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Dan unpacked the first few sections of Scripture in the book of Galatians that Paul wrote. We were reminded in God's word that there is no other gospel, that this one from Jesus is it. We are not to add to it, detract from it, and if we hear that being done, we need to prayerfully, authoritatively, and lovingly bring a correction or a rebuke. We're reminded that the gospel transforms. As Paul writes about the distinct nature of his past self, uh, being one of the most zealous Jewish leaders and persecuting the church, Jesus and the power of his gospel transformed his life so that now Paul is ushering in the kingdom through his work, laying down his life and literally being willing to sacrifice it should it be required for gospel impact. And in fact, he would. By the way, Pastor Aaron texted me early this morning. He said, tell the church I said hello, and he'll be back next week. He's on vacation right now. He said he misses you guys, and he's excited to be back next week. So today, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the expanding gospel, the expanding gospel. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 10. You can follow along on the screen, or you can, you can turn there with us in your Bible if you have it. Paul says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the go- with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. 
So here we are in the No Other Gospel series. Paul's writing to the churches in the regions of Galatia. Why did Paul write a letter to the Galatians to begin with? Well, he was in communication with them because he planted and raised up churches in the the Galatia region, sharing the hope of Jesus, discipling believers, and unleashing them as kingdom leaders for great gospel impact. He loved these churches. He loved the believers in this region. This region and these people and the impact of the gospel through this particular group of folks was near and dear to Paul's heart. And he had influence and shepherding leadership with this group of churches. So for them to hear from Paul, it would not have been a surprise. Much like when I get get the chance to connect with middle schoolers or high schoolers as a, a youth pastor, as a student ministry pastor, when they graduate and they go off to college, and some of them are buying houses now, starting their own families, getting married, having babies, having careers, adulting real well. And I still have connections with them. Sometimes they reach out to me and ask for advice. Some I, sometimes I reach out to them just to see how they're doing and, and maybe bring a word of correction if it leads into that direction. But I, it's, it's pretty similar to that. Paul has a relationship with them. And so it's normal for him to reach out and speak with them about this. Paul's aware of the doctrinal issue that is tainting the work and words of Christ and is corrupting sound theology within the church. This issue, as we have already heard in the series already, is of faith and works. Faith plus obedience to the law. Faith in Jesus plus, in this legalistic circumstance, circumcision. There was a false gospel being preached that if you wanted to be a Christian, a a true Christian, uh, a follower of Christ, you also had to be a true Jew and thus physically circumcised. Paul's writing now to remind the churches of Galatia about the purity of the gospel, that salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone. I want to turn our attention to to Jesus himself for a moment in John chapter 19. So if you have the word, you can turn there. Let's turn to our scrolls to John chapter 19, starting at verse 25. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This, this three, three words here, it is finished, in the Greek is one word, tetelestai. It is finished. Can you say, it is finished? Can you say tetelestai? Nice. You are now professional Greekers. Um, it is finished would have been the same word used in a marketplace to designate the completion of a sale. Some historians have discovered this word tetelestai written at the end of business documents from the same time period that the New Testament was written. Tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus is letting us know by using this word that the price is paid. The transaction is complete. The work is final. The sale is closed. It is finished. His blood shed on the cross is the payment 
the propitiation for our sins. And today, we trust in the power of the blood of Christ to wash away our sins, make us white as snow, and bring us into reconciliation with the Father. It is through faith alone, in Christ alone, to die. It is finished. We add nothing to that. It is not my faith in Jesus plus my good works. It is not my faith in Jesus plus circumcision. It is not my faith in Jesus plus anything. If there are good works to be done through us, which you can be sure that there are, he has prepared them for us to do, they are an overflow of the Spirit of God at work within us and through us, but they are not a checkpoint on a list of things to complete in order to earn salvation. Paul mentions this uh, to his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. He says to the church in Rome, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In Galatians 2.16, just a little bit later than where we're at in this chapter right now, Paul says, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. Jesus himself said, uh, when the disciples asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? There is no other gospel. There is nothing to add, nothing to take away. It is in Christ alone. So, Paul has been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. He has this good news, and Paul knows the lane that he has been sent in to declare the good news. In fact, the Lord presented this description of Paul's call to Ananias in Acts chapter 9. We'll throw that up here on the screen. It says, He is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul has been chosen by the Lord specifically to bring and carry the gospel, the good news, the hope of Jesus, to those who are not Jewish. Paul's confident in taking the pure gospel to the non-Jewish people, a continuation of launching ministry through planting churches, discipling non-Jewish people by the grace of God, in the word of God, by the power of God, and unleashing them in kingdom leadership to the glory of God. Paul knows his lane. So let me ask you a question today. What is your lane? What is your lane? My daughters, Eloise and Isabel, are doing swim team this year. Hey, Welch Sharks! Hey, Welch Sharks! All right, they got a a sweet cheer that they do. They don't want to participate. I've embarrassed them. (laughs) Sorry. They have become stronger swimmers, even in just the first few weeks. This past week, they participated in their first swim meets, and they're still learning to dive, swim correctly, and swim straight and fast. We're all doing this, 
spiritually speaking. Like for them, when they are swimming down the lane, they know this is my lane. This is their lane. I'm going in this direction with this goal in mind to finish my part in the race in the lane that I have been given. So I ask you again, what lane have you been given? What is your lane? In other words, what group of people has God called you to? You say, Pastor, hasn't God called me to minister the gospel to everyone? Yes, that's true. But let's take it deeper and more personal. Where are your circles of influence? Where are you doing life with people? Maybe it's your work circle. Maybe it's people you work with, your coworkers. Maybe you're on a sports team, and so you've got these people around you on your sports team who you can think about. Maybe you've got your school circle, or maybe your neighborhood circle, the people who live right around you. Maybe you live on a cul-de-sac that is actually almost an actual circle. Thank you. I believe God has gifted you with a location and gifts to connect specifically with people who will be and maybe already are put in your path to share the hope of Jesus with. I believe God is patiently waiting, eagerly waiting for you to look up and look out. Look and see those people in your midst who need to hear the good news, the hope of Christ. And not just so that they can become saved. Yes, we want souls to be saved because there are souls destined for hell as we stand here and speak. But as we look at Luke 2.10, which we'll throw up on the screen, this is part of God's heart for saving souls as well, that God is the Lord of the harvest. Luke 10.2 says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, there's people out there who are lost and destined for an eternity apart from God. And we want to share the hope of the gospel so that they might find salvation and hope and joy in the Lord. Amen? Amen. I think we often forget and lose sight of the fact that those same lost people who are distant from God are also might be on the list that God has to raise up and send out to multiply the kingdom. If you had looked at me as a young middle schooler, you would probably be full of doubts about the kingdom impact that I might have when I was older. I mean, that's just how it is when you're younger and maybe even sometimes when you're older too. But you can look at a person and just really, it's really easy to fall into a judgmental spirit, right? Like a critical spirit of it. What, this, this, what does this person have to offer? No, there's a lot of potential between God's power, the transforming power of the gospel and the sending nature of God and the kingdom. There are people on your block people in your workplace who God is waiting for you to open your mouth to share the hope of Jesus so that he might save them, but so that he might send them as well. So, know your lane. Speaking of lanes and like scriptures about harvesting, I also think about like rows. Uh, Here living in central Pennsylvania, if you drive around, you might see corn growing in rolls. Am I right? Okay, so... um, You know, I think if I went out by myself, especially as a kid, and it was my goal to like pick a plot of corn with my bare hands, I might have gotten distracted and started picking corn like here and there and there and there. And at the end, I might look at my bushels and be like, I have a lot of corn, but I didn't pick all the corn. Why didn't I pick all the corn? Maybe because I didn't like, now today, I know that like, I know what efficiency means, and I know that if I just went in straight lines down the rows and went stalk by stalk, I could pick all the corn and be able to look back and see what I have accomplished. And if we linked arms and went as a team down these rows, we could pick a lot more corn together, amen? 
of course, we have harvesters and combines and we can like do things in straight rows with those things too. But I think you get some of the image that I'm trying to share with you. Knowing your lane, knowing your row. Speaking of rows, I know we refer to rows a lot of times like with corn, but in Jamaica, they don't call them, uh, they don't call them corn rows. They have different rows. Do you know what grows in Jamaica? Sugarcane. Looks very similar to corn, but they have cane rows down there. Uh, also, there's a, a hairstyle called cornrows, you know, like the tight braids on the head. Um, we call them cornrows. In Jamaica, uh, they call them cane rows because they're tight. In fact, here's a picture of a, a, a white guy with cane rows um, in 2008. That's me. Uh, I lived the summer of 2008 in the village of Harmons, Jamaica, and I've had the privilege of leading a bunch of our teams to Harmons, Jamaica uh, to do some missions work with One by One to Jamaica down there. And I'm sharing this story with you and this picture with you, not because I think my hair looks awesome in that picture, but just proof A, that I had hair at one point in my life. Uh, but, but also the fact that like, this was a summer where I really began developing and finding my lane, really finding my row. Um, it, it was the, the winter break of college right before this, my sophomore year, it was the, the New Year's break. So like 2007 into 2008, I was on a New Year's missions trip to Harmons, Jamaica, and we were building some houses, we're sharing the gospel, we're meeting a lot of physical needs um, and building hope. And um, the head missionary asked me if I wanted to come down and, and live with their team for the summer and be an intern, which like, I was like, whoa, that's incredible. Because to begin with, like Jamaica just seemed like something in, in Fergully or like a movie that I would never touch or see. I, I didn't know. And then God like provided for me to go on my first short-term mission trip there and blew my mind. And then he provided for me to go for the summer and kind of blew my mind. And while I was there, my, my lane began to develop because my role had to do with mentoring Jamaican teenagers uh, who were in the, the village that we lived in and also mentoring American teenagers who are coming down on short-term trips. And I would be planning big events for the community and I would be hosting dance parties and I would be hosting food things. And so there were just a lot of things coming together where like teenagers ministering the gospel, mentorship, hosting events, all of these things were coming together. And I just really felt like, okay, I think God's calling me into ministry. Um, and that's kind of where my lane kind of got to develop. And I know we all have different stories about aspects of our lives that have shaped us and created us to be who we are today, but I just want to leave you with that first question. What is your lane? What is your lane? Who are the people in your lane? And as you're swimming in your lane, my second question for you today is, what's your song? What song are you singing while you're swimming in your lane? Admittedly, the, the, the imagery there might be challenging because when you're swimming, it's not really good to sing with your mouth open. You could take in a lot of water. But if you're running in a lane or in a cornfield, a row of cornfield, there's a lot of images here. I'm just saying, what's your song in your life, people? What's the song of your soul? What is the song that if people were to look at you and identify, this is this person's song, what would that be? And so to, to lean into this a little bit more, I just want to start with a, a little game. Can we play a game this morning? We're going to play a game. Okay. This game is called Finish the Lyrics. So I'm going to start singing a song, and I just want you to sing the next line or a little bit of the next part of the song, okay? So let's just practice with something simple to make sure we're on the same page. A, B, C, D. E, okay, that's it. You get the concept of the game, all right? So if I said... Country road, take me home. 
Okay, very good. What if I said, sweet Caroline? Okay, okay, you get the point of the game. So let's just, let's just go in a different direction for a second. Um, if I sang, come thou fount of every blessing. Very good. If I said, Jesus paid it. Very good. How great is our God. Okay. Oh, praise the name Very good. Now I'm just thinking about like this idea of while we're swimming in our lane or running in our lane or picking corn in our lane, what song are you singing? What's the song of your soul that if people are around you, they recognize, man, there is something different about this person. And they might even ask you, Why? man, there's just something different about you. What is that? I mean, you have an opportunity there to reflect on the joy of the Lord being your strength. You have an opportunity there to say, Man, it's Jesus. It is Jesus that has me being different because it's really easy for me to be like discontent or grumpy. So when somebody notices there's something different about you, maybe that's the song that you're singing. Maybe it's the essence of Christ in you, the expression of Christ through you in the lane that you're running. I think maybe like one of the most powerful hymns to like point us in this direction of what is your song goes like this, and you can finish this one with me too. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Right, so what song are you singing as you run down your lane? How are they gonna know Christ through you, the hope of glory, as you're swimming in your lane and you're doing life with people? One of my favorite bands is a band called Need to Breathe. Um, I I just really like their music. They're a bit rock, a bit blues, a bit country, and and they love Jesus for the most part. They sing some songs about Jesus. But there's a song um, when I was just out of college that that really impacted my life in this this concept of what is my life about? What is my song of my life? Um, And I'm just gonna sing this one part for you. It goes like this. May the song I sing bring joy to you. May the words I say confess my love. May the notes I choose be your favorite tune. And Father, let my heart be after you. So this song isn't really about a specific song It's about your life song. It's about your worship of your whole self. It's about every part of you being an expression of Christ, being a signpost to Jesus with who you are and who God has made you to be. So as you're swimming and running in your lane, what is the song that you're singing? Wonder if that song would look differently based on where you're at. When you're here on Sunday morning, it's really easy to have a certain song on your heart, to put on the face that sings hymns and sings worship songs. And sometimes when we leave this place, it's easy to drop those songs and put on a different song. I think you know what I mean, right? Well, maybe there's space there for some repentance and some re-surrendering to the Lord to say, take all that I am and let your song be singing through me to the people around me. So my next question, we've asked, what's your lane? What song are you singing in your lane? 
My next question is, who do you specifically need to sing this good song to? Who do you specifically need to sing this good song to? Everyone? Yes. Specific people? Yes. No one? No. We are called to be on mission. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We are set on fire. We've, given, we've been given the hope of Christ. We're to live that out and share that hope. We're supposed to sing that song all the days of our lives. Hide it under a bushel. I'm gonna let it shine. Right. We're not called to hide it under a bushel. When we go out of here, we are to sing that same song. As a, as a staff and as an elder team, we've been doing this thing for the better part of a year where we've kind of had like a little bit of a prayer list of specific people uh, in our lane. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's somebody on our street in our neighborhood. And what we do monthly is hold each other accountable and hear testimony of um, how are you praying for this person? Uh, and we kind of have like some specific goals along the way. It's not just a prayer list, but it's like what are some goals that we practically have to minister to these people who God has put on our heart and in our lane to be with. So we, we pray for opportunities to be uh, hospitable. How can we show hospitality to the people who are in our lane? And how can we serve the people who are in our lane? And the hope, the dream is really like when we're praying for them and God opens the door to be hospitable with them, maybe he shows us some ways that we can serve or be served by them, that God might open up a door for a spiritual conversation. And we've had some cool uh, testimonies on our staff team and elder team of like the, watching the process of like, hey, we're gonna pray for these people. We're gonna practice hospitality to these people on our lists. We're gonna serve the people on our lists. We've had some wins of spiritual conversations. Not every single person on those prayer lists have like said yes to Jesus. Some people on those lists, it's really hard to show hospitality to because they don't wanna receive hospitality. How do you do that? I'm not gonna answer that question today, but you know what I mean. So my question for you is like, do you have a prayer list going right now? Do you have somebody in mind that you're like, I really wanna show this person hospitality and show this person that they, uh, and serve this person that they might come to know an expression of Christ through me. Not that you have to force, you, you don't need to force the spiritual conversation to happen. God is gonna open that door, but maybe you can be intentional about paving the way with small things, like being hospitable and serving your neighbor. I'd venture to guess that probably at least half of you or more are the product of somebody else's prayer list, that somebody was praying for you and reaching out to you, serving you, showing you hospitality, and somewhere along the lines you realized, maybe in that moment, maybe in that time of life, or maybe like in hindsight, wow, this person was like intentional to express the love of Christ to me, that I might come to know him and then be saved and then be sent. Who do you specifically need to share this song with? The lifestyle where we can confidently share Jesus is one that comes from understanding that we are not in control of the results. It's easy to get caught up in wanting people to believe in Jesus versus sharing him, his love, and the example he has given us. We let fear creep in, making us think that our, our differences are too much for this world, but I think it's really just the opposite. We're called to go out and make disciples. And different is not bad. You can make your different infectious. So boldly speak his name. Take captive the opportunities to share him when he opens those doors. And most importantly, trust him with the results, not yourself. Second Timothy 1.7 says, So the Spirit of God 
gave us, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and discipline. Who are you sharing this song with? Who do you specifically need to sing this song to? All right, so then at the end of Galatians chapter two, uh, well, not at the end of chapter two, but in verse 10 there at the end of this section, Paul said, they asked us to remember the poor. Paul has been sent out in his lane. His lane has been confirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. And they're reminding him, remember the poor. And Paul says, this is the very thing I was eager to do. This is a great expression of Christ. I think of all the ways that Christ reached out to the least of these. I mean, sure, he reached out to many of the least of these, but he actually came down in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, to dwell with us, to become like us. I mean, like, that's reaching out to the least of these. We are less than him, and we need him. So when we have the opportunity to to step into that call to reach out to the least of these, we are expressing Christ to that person And not only to them, but those who might witness the expression of Christ to them as well and bring glory to the Father through it. Jesus said, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. So as you're swimming in your lane, as you're singing your song, as you're specifically singing your song to people God has put in your lane to sing to, don't forget to reach out and love the least of these, those outcasted ones who are at the wayside the ones who might not fit in on the inside. Our good friend David Williams preached about that this week at our student ministry gathering on Thursday as he unpacked the the Good Samaritan for us. Thanks, David. You're the man. You never know what the impact of your focus niche and missional call to a group of people might lead to. Um, This... this, Just a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Spokane, Washington for our national gathering of pastors within the Christian Missionary Alliance. We call it General Council. It happens every couple of years, and it's great. When we're together, we have great times of worship. We hear from some big speakers. We deal with business on behalf of the denomination, but one of my favorite things is like the celebrations that we get to do. And one of the things we celebrated this year at council was the 100-year anniversary of the Christian and Missionary Alliance presence spreading the gospel in Mali and Burkina Faso in West Africa. Uh, and one thing that's really cool, I don't know if you know this, but there's a person in our church, her name's Jane Robson. Jane dedicated 40 years of her life to being a missionary in Mali and Burkina Faso. And she wasn't at general council to see this. She saw it, maybe, I think she watched it online. I don't even know if she watched it live or not. But her... I just think about her serving for 40 years with a place that God has called her to, and now we're seeing the fruit of a national church continuing to multiply, create disciples, plant churches, and spread the gospel in this region. And Jane's not there anymore. The same people who were there then aren't there anymore, but there is fruit that God's going to carry on after you do work where he has called you to in your lane. It was a cool celebration. I don't get really weepy very easily, but like in this moment when I saw the president of the CMA of Burkina and Mali stand up there and they're like the national church is growing and thriving and multiplying and even sending. It was like, whoa, like I know Jane and I know her dedication and sacrifices. You just never know what the ripple effects and the fruit of your ministry where God has called you how that's gonna take root, how that's gonna spread. Like you save it, you, you sharing the hope, of you, you being hospitable with your neighbor to like share a meal together, that might open the door for a spiritual conversation. And that spiritual conversation might eventually lead to them coming to know Jesus. And that's not just about them. 
That's about them and who they're gonna impact next as well and the generations that are gonna follow them knowing Christ as well. It's way bigger than just like, I, I'm too nervous to talk to my neighbor. You gotta like bird's eye view this at 30,000 feet and see you're a part of something bigger and the mission and the goal is bigger than this one person. It is to bring all of Jesus to all the world. And that person that you get to talk to might have a big role in that. All right, so we're gonna wrap this thing up. In conclusion, I wanna encourage you to find your lane and swim in it to the glory of God. Sing the song of God's redemption day and night. Sing that over yourself, over your family, over your neighbors, over your coworkers. Ask God specifically, like ask him, like maybe you wanna do that right now, like on a piece of paper, write down, God, who specifically are you asking me to share this great song of redemption with? And watch the spirit of God work in and through you and through that person. Could take a long time. Some of the elders and our staff team members have had people on their list, not only since we've been starting the list as a team doing this practice, but like years of praying and years of, of trying to, to share the gospel. And, and some people are just resistant. That's, that's the reality. Again, that's not our job to like twist their arm to be saved. It is the work of God. But we have, we have a, a joy and a privilege and a responsibility as part of the body of Christ to share. So find your lane, sing your song, Ask God specifically who you should share this with. And remember, when you're going along your lane, look out for the poor and the outcast and the least of these in your midst. Will you rise up and be part of this? Will you rise up and be part of this work? Maybe you, maybe you know this already, but maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. Maybe it's a reawakening for you today to be like, ha, ah, man, I've been getting a little lazy. I've been getting sloppy. I've been getting too comfortable. It's time for me to stand up and rise up and join in the cause, join in the missional work of the kingdom of God, to swim in my lane intentionally. I hope you will. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this part of Paul, the Apostle Paul's life where he shares with us that he's, he's testifying to the purity of the gospel. And then out of that, you're sending him, you have sent him, uh, to share the good news with those who, who weren't Jewish. And what this story means for us today, God, is that you are continuing to save lost souls and you are taking these lost souls who are saved, bringing salvation to them and transforming their lives by the power of the gospel and then sending them on mission to continue the kingdom expansion. Just like we saw in the Great Commission video today, God, you're still at work even now, transforming lives and sending lives to bring hope to a broken world. So for us today, God, if there are places where we need to repent of and confess, I've been too comfortable, I've been too lazy, I have not had my eyes up, I have not been even paying attention to my lane or singing that song very well. I have not cared well for my neighbors or my family with the hope of the gospel. Would we just, would we come to that place today and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for getting comfortable. Forgive me for getting too lazy. Thank you for reawakening in this and, and we don't need to rest in any shame there, God. We, we give that to you and we ask that you renew us today. Create in me a clean heart today, God, and send us out by the power of your spirit to do this good kingdom work that you have called us to with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family. This work is yours and we are just grateful to have the privilege to partner with you in it. 
The results aren't up to us, it's up to you. But stepping out, running in our lane, singing the song of our redemption, and maybe even getting specific with about who we're singing it to might just bear some fruit that's good for your kingdom, God. And we're doing it all for your kingdom, all for your glory. Would you move us? Would you make us yours to be a, a powerful light in this world to bring hope to the dark places, to bring hope to lost neighbors? Would we share meals with our neighbors? Would we serve our neighbors? And would you bless the, the building of relationships through those even simple steps, God, just to open doors to have spiritual conversations? And where we get timid in those moments, would you lead us, Holy Spirit? Jesus, would you, would you take us with your staff and lead us gently in the way that we're to go, that we might share the hope of Jesus in love with grace and truth? Lord, and if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you yet, but it maybe feels compelled today to say yes to you, Jesus, because your blood on the, on the cross finished it all. You paid the price for us to be made clean, to be made holy by the power of the blood of Jesus and to come into right standing with the Father. If there's anybody here today in that space, would you just keep drawing them unto yourself, God? God, we praise you for all this and all the work that you're gonna do out of this. We love you, we trust you, and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray.